Good evening. Wow, applause for good evening. That's pretty good. I'm Carla Hayden, CEO of the Enoch Pratt Free Library, and welcome to, as you can see, a very, very special night at the Central Library. Tonight, we are so honored to host a book launch for a remarkable man who has written about another remarkable man. Now, I have to tell you that Professor Gibson is like family here at the Pratt Library. We've worked with him on numerous projects. He is a researcher and a scholar, and so we see him sometimes just in the archives. And so we really get a little choked up when we think about the opportunity to be able to host this for our friend, Professor Larry Gibson. You can clap. Now, many of you know that this has been a labor of love. <laughs> and Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall made such an impact on this nation, and especially, of course, the state of Maryland. And the number of people who are here tonight really is a tribute to two wonderful men. I'd like to welcome, just briefly, a few special guests that you will hear from in a minute, Governor Martin O'Malley. Are you supposed to? Okay. We're really warming up here. Mayor Stephanie Rawlings-Blake. Congressman Elijah Cummings. And, and I couldn't even list them all. We have state elected officials who are here. Could you just raise your hand? So many. City elected officials, city appointed officials, judges, lots of judges, judges, lawyers, all types of people, and it is just a thrill. I just want to just put one plug in. We will have on February 28th, Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor will be here discussing her new memoir, My her new memoir, My Beloved World. So thank you, thank you. And to get us started, and to also show you how important this occasion was, we were able to have join us tonight internationally and nationally acclaimed recording artist, Miss Paula Campbell, to be here. She had another engagement, and so she went from one engagement to another, but she's here to start us out with the singing of the national anthem, Could You Please Rise? Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we held at the twilight's last gleaming? Whose broad stripes and bright stars Through the perilous fight O'er the ramparts we watched Were 
so gallantly streaming and the rockets rattling the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there oh say does that star spangled banner get away oh the land of the free and the home of the brave Thank you, Ms. Campbell, who said libraries have to be quiet. I think Mr. Pratt is smiling down because that's what it was all about. You have to write another book. Now, as I mentioned before, we have a remarkable, remarkable group of people here tonight to really get this book launch going and to really, I think, pay tribute not only to the subject of the book, but also the author. And to get us started, I'd like to welcome our dean, as we call her, Dean Phoebe Haddon of the University of Maryland Francis King Carey School of Law. Good evening, everyone. You are an awesome group, I have to say. And it is a thrill to be here, in part because I'm here to pay homage to a really wonderful member of my faculty. But before I get to that, I want to also say all of the people that Carla, Pratt, uh, Carla Hayden mentioned tonight for Pratt, yeah, all of them are alums of our wonderful law school, so I want to be able to say that too. Thank you very much for being here, and the people that she didn't name by name, but named by awesome position, many of them are also our alums. So good evening, alums and friends of the law school, as well as friends of Larry. Now, I have to say that uh, many of you are here because you've known him far longer than I have. But in the four years that I have been here, I've come to be very familiar with both this book as well as the other things that Professor Gibson does. And some of you know part of that, but I bet you most of you don't know all of that because I'm here to tell you that he's a renaissance man. And if you haven't really met a renaissance man be before, stay tuned. 
Larry is the truest epitome of Renaissance man that I know in life. Now, many of you know about his ability to research. Many of you know about his strong connection and love of Maryland and Baltimore. Many of you may know some of what he has done for this community as a political advisor, as one who offers insights to people about politics far beyond the boundaries of Maryland and of Baltimore in particular. Many of you may know of his extensive knowledge of racial history here in Maryland and nationally. He gives countless interviews and opportunities to talk about those things. Some of you may know that he is an avid photographer, like another person out here in the audience, uh, Judge Bell. Some of you may know that he is an avid photographer who is a wonderful taker of pictures of people, portraits, lovely portraits. In fact, if you come to the law school, I can take you down a hall full of those portraits uh, and, and sittings of our faculty, which is uh, Larry's opportunity to get us all together and to order us around. But some of you may not know that he takes wonderful, wonderful photos also of the places that he's gone to see, and they are breathtaking. So I want to invite you to the law school to see them. But what you probably don't know as much as I do is his love of being a teacher and his ability to spend countless hours with his students, guiding them through. I cannot tell you how many students and alums who've come back to the law school talk about the time and the mentoring that he has offered them uh, as they've wended their way through their careers and gotten through law school. Some of you may know that he does good lawyering as well. And his dear friend, Ron Shapiro, I'm sure will talk about that a bit. Um, but I want to talk about the generosity the opportunity that he has offered us to get to know parts of many, many different lives here in Baltimore. Uh, I am especially fond, Larry, of your being able to introduce me to this wonderful community. And so that, for that, I'm especially thankful. So Renaissance man, friend, professional, avid photographer, and much, much more, Larry. Thank you for giving of your time and your energy, and I'm so happy to be here to help your friends celebrate your good work. Thank you, Dean Haddon. Now, our next guest almost needs no introduction, especially to the Enoch Pratt Free Library. She's a supporter. Uh, an avid reader, and best of all, a patron of the Pratt Library. She also launched the library's e-library by holding up her own personal device, putting it to a screen, and downloading a book. Now, we didn't ask her what it was, but please welcome the mayor of our great city, Stephanie Rollingsburg. Good evening, everyone. It is, um, 
It's overwhelming uh, to be here and to see all of Baltimore. Uh, it's, you know, just this is an amazing testament to uh, the professor that, that I know, that, that I hope is moved after my remarks to, to reconsider my grade. <laughs> but that's an aside. It is good for me to be here to, to, to celebrate our history at the same time to celebrate the work of uh, a man that we have all come to love and to respect. Uh, uh, Professor Gibson. I want to thank Dr. Hayden for hosting this beautiful event and uh, for being, I told her she's the only one that, that makes uh, librarians cool. The only, And I did, I have to give my plug for the library. I did download my ebook. I downloaded two ebooks and one audio book and I'm addicted to it now. I'm, I finished uh, Kristen Chenoweth's uh, biography which if you haven't heard her, if you're a lover of uh, Broadway, it's a great um, she does a great job telling it and now I'm listening to The Hunger Games and reading Henrietta Lacks so I'm, I'm all over and it's all free so, I'm, so that's my plug for the library I'm loving it <laughs> loving it I'm going to try something I know uh, governor and congressman I probably shouldn't do, but I'm going to try to recognize some of the electeds that I've seen here tonight just because, you know, so many have come out to uh, honor the, the history of uh, Thurgood Marshall and to thank uh, Professor Gibson for his, uh, his contribution uh, to this city. I want to thank the governor and Congressman Cummings, Dean Haddon, of course, former uh, Senator uh, Paul Sarbanes, who is also a patron of this library, a big supporter of this library. I saw uh, Senator Lisa Gladden and uh, Delegate Melvin Stukes, uh, Councilwoman Ricky Spector and Councilwoman uh, Helen Holton are also here as, as well as our uh, former state's attorney, Pat Jessamine, our current state's attorney, uh, Greg Bernstein. And I'm sorry if I missed any. Oh, look, at Sandy. I always think of you as my neighbor, but he also represents me. Delegate Sandy Rosenberg took time off from the pool to come out and just for you, Professor. So in the last century, thousands of men and women have made sacrifices, given their lives so that our country could truly be a free nation for the, the fight for civil rights, which included voting rights, marriage rights, and the rights for this, uh, the right to fight for this country. Uh, in the military, eat where you like and attend the school of your choice were one because of people like Thurgood Marshall. And I'm grateful uh, to be uh, from the same uh, hometown. I'm grateful to have uh, such a legacy. I remember um, the clo- my closest connection to, um, to the justices when my father took me to the um, opening, the dedication at the library for the Thurgood Marshall Library. And I remember standing there and um, being impressed and intrigued with this person who I had never met, who at the, uh, the, the notion of having a library at the law school that wouldn't accept him uh, to the school, the library named after him, he sent a letter of regret and he did not attend. And I remember that impacted me so as a young child that it, it drove me to, to want to learn uh, more about this person that would have so much dignity and courage and conviction uh, that wouldn't back down. 
from that and would not, uh, you know, would not be made to feel less than uh, by the school that uh, even wanted to honor him, but at that time, I mean, in, in previous years didn't accept him. So, you know, he has a, an incredible and intriguing le- legacy that I know was captured uh, by um, my professor. And that's the third compliment. So hopefully we're getting closer to that reconsideration. So... Again, I want to thank uh, Larry Gibson for, uh, for writing this book, for contributing to the art and culture of our city, and thank you all. I, I can't tell you how impressed I am to be here in the presence of all of you to hear uh, from, from my professor. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Mayor, and I'm sure a lot of us have that same feeling about our professors. I still quake when I see Peggy Sullivan at a Library of Congress. Now, our next guest is also a big supporter of literacy in libraries, and I have to take this opportunity because my colleagues around the state, the 23 other library systems, told me to give a special shout-out to the governor who has done just about more for libraries in his term than quite a few, Governor Martin O'Malley. Thank you. Thank you very much. My goodness, what a wonderful crowd. It's like old home week here, isn't it? Everybody's looking at one another and saying, I haven't seen him in years. I haven't seen her in years. It's really, really good to be with all of you. And to also be with those members of the House of Delegates, Sandy Rosenberg, Melvin Stooks, uh, Senator Lisa Gladden, anyone else who votes on my upcoming budget. <laughs> All right. And it's also wonderful to be, uh, be here in the spirit uh, and to celebrate the spirit and the life of this great man whose story has been written now by our own Larry Gibson. And I uh, want to thank you not only Professor Gibson for writing this story, Uh, I think one of our founders once said, any fool can make history, it takes a genius to write it. So so thank you for for writing this history, and I would like to second the the mayor's motion and ask that my grade in your evidence class (laughs) be reconsidered. Extra credit for public participation. And, and Carla Hayden, thank you so much. Coolest librarian in the entire United States of America. There is a secret symmetry, I think, to the life of a city, to the life of a state, of a country, of any community. There is a secret symmetry, and, and we're all a part of it. Uh, some of us realize that we're a part of it, and, and others don't. Some of us realize it very deeply and choose to take on the suffering and the cause of others. Such a mindful man was Thurgood Marshall. And it's why this tremendous turnout here tonight, of course, partly in, in respect, of course, to the, the great author, but this man, by taking on the causes and the suffering of others, wrote his own history. And it is the history of justice that took place in this place, in our place. There are maps in this book of Marshall's Baltimore and Marshall's Maryland. Thurgood Marshall really did make us. And in a very real way, this place also made him 
So thank you, Larry Gibson, for telling his story and our history together. Thanks very much. Now our next speaker, like many children, when he was young, he found refuge and he also recognized his talents at one of the Pratt Library branches. We often, and this is all of the Pratt Library staff members, we quote him, we try to tell his library story, but no one can tell it better. This person has been, and we've even called the American Library Association to say, if you need someone with a library story that can show what can happen when you have access to a library, a free access, you should call Maryland's 7th District Congressman, Elijah Cummings. Good evening, everyone. You can do better than that. Good evening, everyone. It is certainly my honor and my privilege to be here. I'm going to be very brief. But I wanted to, uh, I told somebody that uh, even if I had to miss a vote to be here, I was going to be here. And that's not something that I say lightly. But first, let me take a moment to um, salute Carla Hayden. And, and, and hear me out. A lot of people don't realize that this is one of the greatest library systems in the world. Not just in the country, in the world. And, and there are programs. All you got to do is look at the brochures. Make sure you get a brochure before you get out of here. Where are they? Okay, they're over there? All right. This library adds to the culture of the city tremendously. And they provide programs for free that will cost you 30 and $40 at the Smithsonian. And that's because we have a great head of the library, former president of the American Library Association, just a super, super, superstar, Carla Hayden. Give her another hand, please. A lot of people don't know it, but Larry Gibson, Ron, began to mentor me when I was just 16 years old. That was over 45 years ago. He was on the school board. I was at City College. And I needed somebody to look up to. And I asked him for a meeting, and uh, he gave me that meeting. And just about every major decision that I have made in my life, Paul, Larry Gibson has been there. He was never one of my teachers for, in a school sense, but he was my teacher of life. And... When I read this book, I couldn't put it down. Because the book starts off with an episode in 1975 when Larry and a guy named Curtis Lee, who tragically died of a heart attack at a very young age, had gone to Thurgood Marshall's house 
at like 11 o'clock at night, climbed the walls. And then he was so charming that he was able to sit through two or three hours of conversation with Justice Marshall. And I'll never forget, at that time, I was a law clerk for Larry. And when they came back and told me they had done that, I said, you one bad brother. <laughs> but Larry, I came by because I wanted to thank you for doing all that you have done. You know, Larry, you often tell me that the reason why you love taking photos so much is because you have an opportunity to capture a moment in time. Well, brother, this is a double exposure. <laughs> you very, over the years, when you put this together, you are giving us a picture of Thurgood Marshall. And at the same time, you're doing it through your glasses. And the stories that you tell in there here just bring life to a great man. But you've done more than that, Larry. When we look out here, there's so many lawyers. And you have over and over again told the story of African-American lawyers who have so often been unknown, unappreciated, unapplauded, and unseen. But you took it upon yourself to make that happen. And we appreciate you. And by, and by this double exposure, what you have done is that you have given us a picture of ourselves. Larry, Kurt Franklin has, he begins one of his songs and he says, and I, and I, I just love this, and I, and I say it every morning, it's my first prayer, I say, Lord, let me see me like you see me. And what you have done is allowed us to see us to see us, unlike the world may see us, but, but we, 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 we realize all of the things that through Thurgood Marshall and, and all the many lawyers that you talk about in this book, Houston and others, and all the great things that happened at Howard University, and, and it helps us to see how great we are. And last but not least, because you have told the story so well, and because you have meticulously made sure you correct it, what some people had been writing for years, what you have done is allowed us to feel proud, but by telling the story and telling the story of, of Thurgood Marshall, you have allowed his aspirations to become our inspiration. And so, brother, you bad. You bad, brother. No, I'm serious. You bad, man. Come here. Come on, man. Let's get a picture. I want this picture. You, you, brother, I, and I thank you. Oh, God, I thank you, Larry, for being, I thank you for being a part of my destiny. I really do. And may God bless you.
and I have to talk. <laughs> but thank you, Congressman Cummings. We appreciate that you're here tonight, and we appreciate that also you show the power of the word and what a book can mean as well. So thank you. Now, to introduce our special guest tonight is one of Baltimore's most notable and well-respected attorneys. He's also an author, and he has three books. So please welcome to the Pratt Library, Mr. Ronald Shapiro. <clears throat> I'm not going to say you have to say hello to me or hi or anything else. Imagine sitting there and listening to this group of esteemed speakers and saying to yourself, I have to follow them. What am I going to do? Well, as I sat there, I thought, and I thought maybe the way I would retreat to asking all of you some questions. My first question, is there anyone in this room who's had an, an encounter with Larry these past four months and who hasn't been offered a young Thurgood bookmark? How about this? Anyone in this room involved in one of his patented political campaigns who did not receive lawn signs or bumper stickers that outnumbered the number of people in the district you were to put him in? <laughs> or been with him and he says, hey, let's take your picture. We're going to put it in the world's largest photographic archive. <laughs> or just let me ask one other question. How many of you have called Larry's cell and not heard? Sorry, this voicemail box is full and cannot accept any further messages. <laughs> well, to say that the answers to these questions and many others about Larry Gibson define one of the most unforgettable characters that any of us has ever met is pure understatement. And my guess is, and, and Elijah referred to it so well, that when Mr. Justice Marshall opened that front door and encountered the young Larry there at 11 p.m. on that eventful night in July 1975, he sensed that a force had come into his home, a force seeking justice for another man, another person, which has been the story of Larry's life. But the justice could not have known then what we all know now, that that young lawyer would grow into the advocate and activist that would reshape the face of American and even world politics, and one day write an extraordinary book about the developmental years of the justice himself. When Larry and I clerked together, remember all those years ago? We'd sit, well, by the way, we were in an old courthouse, and they put us in a closet. That's where we worked. And we'd sit across from each other in that closet, and Larry shared a firsthand account of racial injustice in this city. And then he shared his dreams with me for equalizing the political system by building the stake of black citizens in it. He shared with me dreams of building on the legal legacy of people like Thurgood Marshall to make the voting franchise meaningful for all people. More recently, he came and he communicated another dream, a dream of writing about the man who opened his door to Larry in 1975 
and who opened Larry's inquisitive mind to exploring the formative years of one of our nation's great lawyers and jurists. Well, ladies and gentlemen, my best friend, Larry the Dreamer, is also Larry the Doer. And he has done it again by giving us the most vivid and meaningful account of the life and times of young Thurgood. So this is a rare opportunity for me to thank him publicly for enriching my life, for enriching the lives of so many people, for letting me walk the path of life with you as friend for these last 45 years. Let me introduce to you my dearest friend, Larry Gibson. Thank you, Ron. Now, I imagine that everyone understands the skepticism with which one must view elaborate praise by a person's best friend for 45 years. Governor O'Malley, Mayor Rawlins-Blake, Congressman Cummins, Dean Haddon, thank you very much uh, for your remarks uh, today. Uh, Governor, Mayor, um, we will, the Dean and I will discuss uh, whether the statute of limitations <laughs> has run on your grades. As I look out at this audience, I see so many of my dear friends. In fact, almost all my dear friends. <laughs> from the various parts of my life, my law school fa family, my law firm, my fraternity, friends from political campaigns, civil rights efforts, and historical preservation involvements, former and current students, high school, college, and law school classmates, neighbors, and my family, my wife Diana, my son Stephen, and my daughter-in-law Sicily. I am truly a fortunate man. Thanks to each of you for being here this evening. This is a busy holiday season, and you all have many things to do. You could be finishing your shopping, attending holiday parties, or decorating your home. But yet you're here with me and with each other, and I very, very much appreciate your presence. This book culminates a journey that began 37 years ago. As you've heard, I first met Justice Thurgood Marshall in July of 1975, when another law young lawyer and I went to Justice's house in Falls Church, Virginia, late one night 
It took us a while to find the house, so we got there about 11.15. And we were there to ask him to sign an emergency order in a legal matter we were handling. His two young sons, Thurgood Jr. and John, came to the front door. I asked to speak with their father. The justice came to the door in his bathrobe. This had better be a criminal matter, was the first thing that Thurgood Marshall ever said to me. To which I replied, no, Mr. Justice, it is not, but it is about Baltimore. He invited me in. We dealt with the legal matter for about 15 minutes, but we did not leave his house until after 2 o'clock in the morning. For more than two hours, Thurgood Marshall entertained us with one story after another about growing up in Baltimore. He asked us about ourselves. He asked us about certain people, some places, and even whether certain buildings were still standing. I immediately noticed that he was different from what impressions I had gotten from reading about him. He was friendlier, had a greater sense of humor, and had a more positive attitude about Baltimore than I had expected. My next involvement with Thurgood Marshall was three years later, in 1978, when the students of the University of Maryland School of Law, including our current mayor, uh, where I was teaching, uh, decided that they wanted to name the law school library that was being built in honor of Justice Marshall. That process got done. It took a couple of years. But again, I noticed that the press treatment of this matter was not consistent with what I knew to be the case. The press gave the impression that the naming was over Marshall's objection and that he had snubbed the school. In fact, Justice Marshall had consented to the naming of the library and had authorized his best friend on the court, Justice William Brennan, to represent him at the ceremony. So I decided that I needed to conduct my own investigation to learn more about Justice Marshall from people who really knew him. So in 1981, I began to interview and to audio tape Thurgood Marshall's contemporaries in Baltimore, many of whom I knew. I taped interviews with his relatives, his classmates, his former neighbors, and even two of his high school teachers. I was not sure what I was going to do with this data but it seemed important to me to preserve these people's recollections. Another round of interviews after that 1981 uh, set occurred in 1985. It was during that round of interviews that I acquired the photograph that is on the cover of the book. When my then student assistant, Rebecca Tabb, who is here today, 
and I interviewed the man who snapped the photograph, Marshall's college roommate, James Murphy. Also, in 1985, I had my last personal encounter with Thurgood Marshall, 10 years after that first meeting at his home. Just as Marshall came to Baltimore for the ceremony that renamed the courthouse in honor of Marshall's good friend and classmate, Clarence Mitchell, Jr. At the luncheon following the formal ceremony, I asked the justice to take a photograph with me. When the photographer seemed to take a long time adjusting his camera, Thurgood Marshall turned to me and said, what am I supposed to do, kiss you? <laughs> now that's the last thing that Thurgood Marshall ever said to me. So what am I supposed to do, kiss you? In the years that followed that humorous encounter, there were occasional national surges of interest and in writing about Thurgood Marshall particularly when he retired from the court in 1991 and when he died in 1993. Those milestones uh, were followed by the publication of four full-length biographies of Thurgood Marshall. These were valuable contributions to the literature, but they often repeated assertions about Marshall with which I disagreed. And I began to say so. Until finally in 2002, the then dean of the University of Maryland School of Law, Karen Rothenberg, said to me, Larry, I'm tired of hearing you complain that nobody else understands Thurgood Marshall. Why don't you write the book and set the record straight? So then, in 2002, I decided I'd do just that. <laughs> this was followed by several years of intense research, and now, 10 years later, you have the product of those efforts. The final book is quite different from what I had envisioned 10 years ago. When I began this product, I thought the book would be about one main character, Thurgood Marshall. But as the book evolved, two main characters emerged. A person, Thurgood Marshall, and a place, the state of Maryland. The book covers Thurgood Marshall only to the age of 30. So consequently, it is not mainly a book about what Thurgood Marshall did. Instead, it is a book about what Thurgood Marshall was like and how he was shaped by his environment, particularly the state of Maryland. As many of you who have already started reading the book have discovered, much of the book describes Maryland's geography, economy, politics, and sociology during the period from the beginning of the 20th century through the Great Depression. That is the environment in which 
Thurgood Marshall was born and grew up. The book tries to show how the general situation in Maryland, people in Maryland, and specific events in Maryland during those formative years molded Thurgood Marshall's attitudes, work habits, and priorities. In large measure, Marshall was a product of Maryland's border state character and its inconsistent approach to race relations. Maryland was what Robert Brueger, the head of the Johns Hopkins Press, called in his book on the history of Maryland, the middle temperament. Maryland is often called, and I think quite rightly so, the most northern southern state and the most southern northern state. Once one understands Maryland, it becomes not at all surprising that this is the state that produced Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, Clarence Mitchell, and yes, Thurgood Marshall. Maryland experienced many of the ills and the consequences of slavery and racial discrimination. Yet there were always in Maryland white and black people, organizations, and forces that resisted and fought for freedom and equality. At the beginning of the Civil War, one half of the African Americans in Maryland were free and one half were slaves. Baltimore had the largest free black population of any American city. The state's dual personality on racial matters led Thurgood Marshall to refer to Maryland as Up South. <laughs> the book shows that while Maryland suffered from many of the injustices and overt racial discriminations that characterized the South, Thurgood Marshall recognized that there were many people in Baltimore including some of its leaders and judges that respected the Constitution and were willing to use the law to promote equality. After Reconstruction, black voters were disenfranchised throughout the South. The book describes the three main attempts to disenfranchise black voters in Maryland. And how those proposed constitutional amendments were voted down by the citizens of Maryland in 1905, 1908, and 1911. The book describes how Baltimore became the first city in the nation to enact ordinances using the criminal law to enforce housing racial segregation, making it a crime for a black person to move into a block that was majority white. Yet, there were Baltimore judges who repeat, repeatedly invalidated those ordinances, even as those ordinances were being emulated in other cities around the country. The state of Maryland excluded blacks from all programs of its flagship university until in 1935, Baltimore Judge Eugene O'Dunn, in a suit brought by Thurgood Marshall and Charles Hamilton Houston, ordered the desegregation of the University of Maryland School of Law. 
That decision is often called the first step on the road to Brown versus Board of Education because it was the first time that any judge in the United States ordered the desegregation of an educational facility. Black teachers in Maryland, school teachers, and throughout the South were paid about half the salary paid to white teachers of comparable education and experience until Maryland state judges and a federal judge in Maryland ended that practice. And lawsuits brought by Thurgood Marshall, first in Maryland, and then later replicated in nine other states. Maryland's split personality and border state ambiguous character continues even to the day. In many respects, Baltimore remains socially south of Washington, D.C. That has both negative and positive consequences. We still often greet each other on the streets, and we still size up new acquaintances by asking them where they went to high school. <laughs> Even our way of speaking is hard to categorize. People up north say that we Marylanders speak with a southern accent. Folks further south say we sound like Yankees. But we locals just call it Baltimore's. <laughs> I have tried in this book to convey the things that happen in this state and how this state shaped this man who helped shape the nation. While doing so, I've tried to dispel some inaccuracies about Marshall that have been repeated in the literature. He was a much more serious student throughout his life than some have suggested. Marshall never contemplated being a dentist, as has been written. He did not have repeated disciplinary problems in either school or in college. He did not apply to the University of Maryland School of Law, although he would have been rejected had he applied. Marshall studied public speaking, logic, rhetoric, Greek, Latin, German, Shakespeare, and was determined to master the art of verbal persuasion. He became an advocate before he knew what he was going to be an advocate for. The book shows that Marshall was not just a legal tactician. He was a politician. He used diplomacy and a natural charm to obtain results. While he was a forceful advocate, he was also a good listener who had several key mentors that I've identified in the book. Marshall did not start the tradition of Maryland civil rights and lawyers. The book summarizes the careers of several prominent civil rights lawyers in Maryland who Marshall acknowledged as being his role models. In the process of writing, I also discovered that a full-length book gives you room to cover other tangentially related 
items. So I took some liberties to show the striking beauty of Juanita Jackson, later Juanita Jackson Mitchell, of whom I have three photographs in the book. The courage of Marylanders, black and white, who fought against, who had the temerity on the, to fight against uh, injustice and to fight what was right. The persistence of some issues and challenges, such as the need to protect the right to vote and to fight for equality education. This has been a fascinating and rewarding experience, writing this book. Many people have helped along the way, several of whom, of whom are here t- today. Student research assistants, colleagues at the law school, law partners, librarians and archivists, Jake Oliver of the African-American, uh, Afro-American newspaper, my long-term research assistant, Dolores Mack. I've tried to mention most of them in the acknowledgments, which I hope all of you will read. I also want to especially thank the Marshall family. Cecilia Marshall, wife of Thurgood Marshall, was a gracious woman who provided invaluable support and encouragement for my efforts. Thurgood Marshall Jr., the justice's young son, opened up doors to important records and wrote the foreword that appears in the front of the book. William Aubrey Marshall Jr., stand. The, the, justice's, the justice's only nephew. Thank you. Shared, he shared with me valuable family history, Baltimore history, family photographs. Finally, I thank my own family, especially my wife, Diana, who has provided love and support for almost 40 years and tolerated my fixation on this project. We are about to come to the end of this part of the evening. Afterwards, please remain and enjoy each other's company and the refreshments by the best caterer in Baltimore, Class Act. There's food and drink back there, and there's a whole wing out here past this walls um, where, uh, where you can go. While you guys are eating, drinking, and moving around, I will be anchored at that desk back there, signing your books. In case some of you cannot stay, I want to point out that there are some other events over the next couple of days where I will also be signing books. (laughs) Tomorrow morning, at Frederick Douglass High School, Thurgood Marshalls High School, every student and every teacher in the school, some 600, will receive a copy of the book. This is courtesy of some lawyers and business leaders and military uh, uh, leaders who purchased them. I will sign books after that program.
Tomorrow evening, we go to Thurgood Marshall's neighborhood, to Union Baptist Church on Druid Hill Avenue, for a celebration and reception organized by an ecumenical group of religious leaders. That begins at 5.30 p.m. You're welcome to attend. I'll sign some books there. (laughs) On Saturday, beginning at 7 p.m., I will be at the Ivy Bookshop on Falls Road at Lake Avenue for a talk, a question and answer period, and a reception. You will be able to buy my book, and you can finish your holiday shopping there at the Ivy Bookshop. I want to conclude by thanking Library Director Carla Hayden and her splendid staff. Especially Judy Cooper and Teresa Edmonds for hosting this event. And then there is Jack Young a gifted design artist who for several years has designed those fabulous displays that appear in the front window of this building. He does a remarkable, where's Jack? Jack, here's Jack. I also wish to thank the co-sponsors of this event, the University of Maryland Francis King Carey School of Law, and the law firm of Shapiro, Scher, Gunnell, uh, and Sandler. Thank you very much for coming. Now, let's go eat. <laughs> Thank you, Professor Gibson, for this master class. Please join us for the receptions and also the book signing. Thank you all for coming. <laughs>